At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. We are currently studying this year from a particular theme or idea where we're talking about what it means to be a disciple of Christ or we're talking about it from the theme, the position of kingdom disciples, kingdom disciples. And I want to direct your attention to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. And um, I'm going to, um, we'll, we will start reading in verse 9 in Luke chapter 5. This will just be a kind of basic uh, text for our study, but I'm going to be directing your attention to several passages of scripture that will serve as a biblical credence for our study today. In Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 9, the word of God reads like this. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Now, this is an episode in the life of Christ wherein we see Jesus working with the people who he would call to be his disciples, the 12 disciples, as well as Jesus ministering to and teaching multitudes of people as to what the kingdom of God was all about. In this story, Luke says that Jesus was at a place called the Lake of Genesaret and that he would take time to teach the multitudes from a boat. Then as Jesus was teaching, uh, he saw that uh, the disciples were going fishing and they had gone out into the lake of Genesaret. But Jesus admonished them to go out a little farther and to let down their nets for a catch. Simon is going to say to Jesus, we have fished all night and we haven't caught anything. Nevertheless, at your word, we're going to do what you've asked us to do. And in doing so, they began to take in so many fish that it appeared that the boats themselves were going to sink. When they come to land, Jesus is going to say to Peter, uh, don't be afraid. He says, from now on, you will catch men. So then they forsook all and they followed Jesus. Jesus tells Peter and Andrew, James and John, those who were fishermen when Jesus met them, he calls them to follow him, to become their disciples. And Jesus says to them, you'll still be fishing, but you won't be catching fish. You're going to catch men. He calls them to become his disciples and to be engaged in the ministry and the work of the kingdom where people are brought into a new and saving relationship with Christ. So in this study this year as a church, we are talking about what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the Canaan Church, we say that the theme of our church, that the philosophy of ministry for our church 
is that we are a simple church with a kingdom focus. We are a simple church with a kingdom focus. It is not simply a slogan, but it is a ministry philosophy that we want to be a simple church because God is not operating in complexity. He's operating in simplicity. And the focus of our church should be the focus of God, and that is the kingdom of God. The question that you and I must ask ourselves as people who refer to ourselves as Christians we must ask ourselves, what does it mean to be saved? That's a good question. What does it mean to be saved? Another good question is, what do we mean when we say we are a Christian? Or we could phrase it like this, what does it mean to be a Christian? We could ask ourselves, what does it mean to be saved? We could ask ourselves, what does it mean to be a Christian? And then we could ask ourselves a third question, what is the church? Or what does it mean to be a church? Or what is the purpose of the church? Those are the three questions we could ask ourselves and perhaps we need to keep asking ourselves. What does it mean to be saved? What, it mean, what does it mean to be a Christian? And who are we as a church? Or slash, what is the purpose of the church? I stand here today as your pastor teaching you the word of God. You're sitting in this sanctuary today in this Bible study. And there are many people who are watching me right now, who are joining with us right now in our virtual and online Bible study today. Many who would say, who are sharing with me now virtually, they would say that they are saved as you would say to me, pastor, I'm saved. They would say, and you would say, if I asked you, what is your faith? You would say you are a Christian. And those of you who are here with me in the sanctuary, you are members of quote unquote, the Canaan Christian church and many who are watching me are part of the Canaan Christian church. But when we make these claims, what are we really saying? And what do we understand it to be? I'm gonna make this statement at the front end and I'll probably say it again at the back end of this study. In many cases, it may be that the majority of us, when we talk about being saved, what we understand maybe, and we need to understand more, is that we just understand salvation, many of us, is that I believe that there is a God. But salvation is about more than just believing that there is a God. When we talk about being a Christian, for us, in many cases, we would say I'm a Christian because I say I believe in Jesus Christ and I attend church. I believe in Jesus Christ and I attend church. If we ask ourselves, uh, what is church? For many of us, church is a building. It is a place that we go to to engage in worship. And for many people, that's about as far as they get. But all of those answers are really insufficient and in many, to a great degree, we could say that it is erroneous because it's not really speaking biblically of what it means to be saved, what it means to be a Christian, and what it means to be a church. When we say that we are saved, we're saying that we have come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And having come to know him as Lord and Savior, we have surrendered and submitted our lives to him. 
We have believed that God has forgiven us of our sins and brought us into a new and wonderful relationship with him because Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for the remission of our sins. That's what it means to be saved. Saved means that I've been reconciled to God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has cleansed me from my sins, giving me a new life in Christ. When we say that we are a Christian, we are saying that again, that we have put our hope and trust in one person, in the Lord Jesus Christ, who says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And having put my faith and hope and trust in Jesus, I have then taken Jesus at his word when he said, if any man would be my disciple, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So being a Christian then would mean that I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not just a fan of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus and I seek to do his blessed will. I seek to learn his word and to practice his word in my life on a daily basis right now while I'm still breathing and living in this world. That is what it would mean to be a Christian. And when we talk about being a Christian, we're talking about a Christian ethics and Christian ethics has to do with applied Christianity. Then we answer the question, what is a church? A church is a, a, a community, a group of baptized believers in Christ who have come into a covenant relationship with God and with one another to carry out the purposes of God in the world. Church is not a building. Church is not a place that we just go to on the weekends to have a nice, enjoyable, religious, good time, go home and do nothing else until next weekend and do it all over again. That's not church. Church, again, one of the oldest definitions of church is church is a body of baptized believers of Jesus Christ who have come into a covenant relationship with God and with one another to carry out the purposes of God in the world. Now, what I said to you thus far is I've said, what would we say about the question of salvation, what it means to be a Christian and to be a church? I then share with you what would be the responses of many people in a very simple way, which we would say that it is an inaccurate response and in many cases an erroneous response. And then I gave you to the best of my ability what I really believe to would be a correct response of what it means to be saved, what do we mean when we say we are a Christian, and what is church. Now, having said that, beloved, let me tell you what we have, perhaps all of us have done across the years. What we have done is we've learned how to play church. That's what we've learned. We've learned how to play church, but not be church. I don't say that sarcastically. I don't say that negatively. I don't say that mean-spirited. I say it honestly. What many of us have learned across the years is we have learned how to play church. Just coming into the sanctuary on Sunday, 
being emotionally moved and tickled, having a nice religious time, going home, have nothing to do with God no more during the week. We may pray if we find ourselves in some trouble, but outside of that, we just kind of go through our daily routine. We then come back the next weekend and we have a worship experience and it is important to come to church and worship together, but we enter to worship and we depart to serve, so says the Bible. But we come and have a nice religious time and in many cases we just go home and we don't have anything else to do with God or anything related to God until the next weekend when we say we are going to church. I'm saying to you lovingly, that's playing church, but that's not being church. Because fundamentally, fundamentally, when we ask what is the purpose of the church in the world, the Bible is very clear about it, is it not? And that is Jesus, the resurrected Christ, said to the early disciples and to the early church, he says to them, I want you to go into all the world and do what? Make disciples of every nation. To baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. Now the question we got to ask ourselves is, are we being obedient to the marching orders to the vision and to the great commission that God entrusted to us. And so in this teaching this year about kingdom disciples or what it means to be a disciple of Christ, we did one thing out the gate and that is we defined what is a disciple. The word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes, which means to be a learner and a follower of another. So as disciples of Christ, we want to be a learner of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, and we want Christ to be so uh, manifested in our lives, so incarnate in our lives, that we become just like him. So that's on a personal basis, a individual basis. But then now at this point of this year in our study, we're asking the question, how are we collectively as a church family, how are we to be fruitful and faithful to the charge that Jesus entrusted to us? The good news today is that the Christ who called us to follow him, the Christ who gave us the great commission to reach the world on his behalf, has given us a model in and of himself that if we do it the way he did it, we can be fruitful and faithful ourselves. I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus gave me a model because I don't want to let him down. And we won't let him down if we follow him and do it the way he did it. Jesus never went more than a hundred miles from where he was born in Bethlehem. And having not gone more than a hundred miles, started out with 12 men. Today, there are millions upon millions upon millions of people who have confessed their hope in him. We must conclude that he was very fruitful and faithful in what he did. Amen. 
So when we look at the model that Jesus left us, we said that there are three things that we have taken note about what he did. One is that he was an intentional leader. Jesus didn't do anything by accident, but he did it with divine intentionality. The second thing that we noted about Jesus is that he made disciples in a relational environment. Is that he treated people personal, he made a deposit in them so that they would come to know in a very concrete way who he is as God manifested in the flesh, what it means to be in relationship with God and what the kingdom of God was all about. He taught them in an environment where they could catch it personally. But the third thing that we noted about Jesus' model for making disciples is that he implemented a process that could be repeated, a process that could be replicated. So today we're focusing on that part of our study of discipleship for the church is we're talking about this process that could be replicated. We know, we know today that we need to be intentional. We ain't going to bring people to Jesus by accident. We must be intentional about it. Is that right? We also have underscored the fact that worship is wonderful on Sunday morning. We need to come together every Sunday morning and worship God. The Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves and all the more as the day appears. Talking about the second coming of Christ. So we need that collective worship experience on Sunday morning. I look forward to worship every Sunday morning. But if we stop there, that means we're going to let him down because we got to go beyond the worship experience on Sunday morning. We need to have a type of small group Bible study setting. And so we're doing that at Canaan through our connection group Bible study because we want to be able to engage people personally so that people are really learning the word of God in a setting where there's question and answer, dialogue, and personal engagement. But the third part of our study again means that we must do what we do in a way that can be replicated and where we continue the process over and over again. So now that's where it brings us into our study today because when you look at this text in Luke's gospel, Jesus has recruited men to be his followers. Peter and Andrew, James and John and Zebedee and others, they become the, the, the disciples of the Lord and Jesus is teaching a multitude of people. He says to Simon and Andrew, and he says to James and John, you were in the fishing business catching fish, but now you're going to catch men. After having called them to be his followers, Jesus will sit down with these disciples. He will teach them in many different forms and facets. Sometimes he would teach them with parables. Sometimes he would teach them with life stories. Sometimes he would teach them uh, with parables, but he would use different facets and opportunities to teach them what it means to be a disciple. But not only would he do that in terms of parables and life stories and situations, but then he would send them out with assignments and give them instructions as to what they were to do. If you go to Luke chapter 10, 
Luke chapter 10 beginning with verse 1. I'm not going to read the text. I'm just pointing it out to you. But I would encourage those of you who are sharing with me virtually this morning as well as those in the sanctuary that you would read. Read Luke chapter 10. Read verses 1 uh, through uh, verse 12. Read verses 1 through verse 12. And it is the sending out of the 70. He sent 70 disciples out and he sent them out in twos. He sent them out in twos. And they were to go out speaking to people about the kingdom of God. J Jesus tells them what to take. He tells them what not to take. He tells them what to do if people receive them. He tells them what to do if people do not receive them. He assures them that they're going to have the power and the presence to share this gospel and do the ministry that he has entrusted to them. So then when you get, it's in Luke chapter 10, when you get to Luke chapter 10 verse 17 listen to what the Bible says it says then the 70 returned with joy saying Lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven behold I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He sent the 70 out how? By two. Gave them instructions as to what? What to do. Told them what to take. Told them what not to take. Told them this is what you do when men receive you. This is what you do when they reject you. The 70 returned to Jesus with a praise report, saying, Jesus, we had a great experience, and it was so wonderful that even the demons were subject to us in the power of your name. Now, you may say, Pastor, well, how does this affect in terms of when we talk about the process of making disciples? When you go to the book of Acts, and we're going to go there in just a second, we're going to see what happens with the early church after the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, And they continued in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And they continued in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Peter preached one sermon. 3,000 people joined the church. When the 3,000 people joined the church, they didn't dip them and drop them. They didn't baptize them and leave them alone, but they did something with them. What is it that the apostles did with these thousands of people who became a part of the Lord's church? What they did with the people is what Jesus did with them. Look at somebody say, I think I want to shout. What you see is a process that's being what? Repeated. It's being replicated. Jesus called the disciples to follow him. After he called them to follow him, then he nurtured them in the word. Then he entrusted them with ministry. And then they repeated the process. Let me say it again. Jesus called people to follow him.
After he calls them to follow him, what Jesus does is he what? Nurtures them or he what? Teaches them the word. Then he sends them forth to engage what? In ministry. And then the process is repeated. Let me say it to you again so you can catch it. Jesus calls people to do what? Follow him. The next thing he did with them is what? He taught them the word of God. The next thing he did is he sent them out or gave them an assignment to go out and he entrusted them to be engaged in ministry. And then the process is repeated. So that after Jesus is crucified at Calvary, buried in another man's tomb, resurrected from the grave, and then shows himself alive to the early church, shows himself alive to the disciples, when he gave them the great commission in Matthew 28, right? When he gave them the great commission and says, Go ye therefore into all the world and make what? Disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have taught you. Lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the world. What was Jesus really saying to the disciples? I want you to go and replicate what, with others what you saw me do with you. So when the disciples received the Great Commission, they understood not only what they were to do, they understood how they were to do it. You done caught it. And the reason they caught, they understood how to do it is because they didn't forget the way Jesus did it with them. So then when Peter preaches the gospel and 3,000 people join the church, right? They continued, Luke says in Luke Acts chapter 2, you can turn to Acts chapter 2 in Luke Acts chapter, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, Luke says, uh, with verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The early church, people got two things. They got the kerygma. Everyone just shout kerygma. Those who watch me virtually and at home just shout kerygma. Kerygma is the proclamation. It is the preaching of the gospel. The kerygma is centered around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then the second thing they got was the didache. Everyone just shout didache. Didache. If those at that virtual home, you just shouting at homes, just shout didache. What was the didache? It was the teaching of the faith. See, kerygma, kerygma is what's going to bring me to Jesus. You're telling me that God and Christ died on the cross for the, for the forgiveness of my sins. But Didache, you're teaching me how to be a Christian after Sunday. Yeah, how to grow up. See, you can't live your life in the sanctuary. And what's important is not who you are when we all gather together. The question is who are you Monday night, Tuesday evening, and God help us on Friday night. Right? The question is, who are you between the Sundays? The Didache has to do with how you live the life on a daily basis. Okay? All right. And when you keep looking at Acts chapter 2, when you get down to uh, verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church how? Daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church how? Daily, those who were what? Being saved. He didn't just add them to the church just on Sunday. Did, did you miss that? He didn't just add them to the church on Sunday. He was adding to the church how? Daily. Which suggests somebody's out witnessing. It suggests somebody's talking to somebody about Jesus before Sunday. And people are making professions of faith and God is adding to the church what? Daily. Could we not believe in this 21st century that God could still add people to the church? Daily. If we would do what the early church was doing. And that is talking about Jesus when? Daily. And talking about Jesus to other people, right? Okay, now, when you go to Acts chapter 6, go to Acts chapter 6, and we're told in verse 1, Now in, these, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. The church is growing. And the church is growing with people from different backgrounds and different social uh, kind of cultures. You have the Hebrews, you got the Greeks, those who were Hellenists were of a Greek background. And they began to complain that their widows were being neglected. The church is growing, the church is multiplying. And the disciples were first going to try to address this issue themselves. And then they said, no, because we're going to get away from the model that Jesus left us. We got to make sure that we stay with prayer and the ministering of teaching the word of God. So now this is how the ministry of the diaconess got started, the ministry of the deacons. They, they, they say, look out from among you and find seven men of good report, men of good character, men who are saved, men whose lives are full of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to set them over this business or set them over this work or set them over this ministry of ministering to the people of God. We're going to stay with prayer, with teaching the word. So now the ministry of the deacons is given birth. We got some wonderful deacons sitting here right now. Brother Hurt, Brother Ellis, Albert, Burton. We got Brother Posey, we got Brother Mills. These are all wonderful deacons here in the church. Brother Holcomb. But deacons are not men who wear a black suit and a white shirt and sit down front and line a hymn. That's not deacons. The deacons ministry is not centered around primarily what they do in a sanctuary on Sunday. The deacon's ministry has more to do with what they do outside of the sanctuary in helping me as a pastor to minister to the people of God. So I send deacons to the hospital to pray for the sick.
I send deacons to people's homes when there's death. I send deacons to help minister to people when they have other spiritual challenges in their lives. The Bible says deacons ought to be men who are apt and able to teach the word of God and to give spiritual counsel to others. Yeah. A lot of churches are messed up today because they got quote unquote a deacon board and a trustee board and trustees not even a biblical office. You won't find it in the Bible. Where do we get that from? Because the church has tried to model the world rather than getting its directives from the book, from the word of God. Deacon's ministry is about ministering to people. But the ministering to people has to do with how you keep making what? Disciples. How did Jesus do it? He brought people to him. Then he nurtured them with the word of God. Then he sent them forth out to do ministry. And then they went and reached others themselves. That's the model. That's the process. As the church grows, people come to Christ. I do what I'm doing right now. I nurture them with the word of God. We nurture them with the word of God in a small group Bible study. Then we entrust people with areas of ministry. And then people work in areas of ministry. Everyone in the church should be serving somewhere in the church. If you're not serving in an area of ministry, what's on your mind? You were not saved to sit, you were saved to serve. And then we go out and reach others for Christ. But let's continue to look at the book of Acts. Let's, let's, let's go over in the book of Acts to chapter... Um, Let's go to chapter 11, but let's go before that. Let's go over to chapter 9, Acts chapter 9. Now, we know Paul as the premier writer of the New Testament record. He has more epistles in the New Testament than any other writer, but we don't first meet Paul as Paul, do we? We first meet him as who? Saul. We meet him as Saul. And as Saul, what is he doing? He's persecuting the Lord's church. He's causing all kind of havoc for the people of God. But on the Damascus road, he's going to have an encounter with Jesus. And what's going to happen to him? He's going to get saved. His life is going to get changed. And after he is saved and after his life is changed, he's going to come and try to be a part of the Lord's church. He's going to try to be a part of the fellowship of the believers but look at what we're told in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. This man's life's been changed. He's had a personal encounter with Jesus. He's saved. He tries to join the church, but the church don't want to take him in because he had a bad track record. Ain't that the way we act today? Somebody gets changed and you know something about their history, but you say, no, we don't want them to join our church. There's still a few churches around the day that wanna vote on you when you walk down the aisle to join. <laughs> ain't that crazy? Like you ain't never done nothing wrong. 
Which one of us are so righteous that we could stand in judgment on somebody else because of their past? All of us got a past. Hallelujah. They were afraid to take Saul in. Because they said this is the guy that's been causing havoc and trying to shut the Lord's church down. But you keep reading right there and there's a wonderful brother by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And when you get a chance, just do your, home, your own homework and you'll find out wherever you hear or read Barnabas' name in the Bible, he's always, Sister Ellis, encouraging somebody else. He's always comforting someone else. Verse 27 says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Don't miss that, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Saul is saved, his life been changed, the church don't want to receive him, but Barnabas took him and brought him before the disciples. What that means, Brother Beecher, is that Barnabas, listen carefully, took Saul and helped to further disciple him. Every person who joins the church, every man, every woman who joins God's church, needs somebody else to help disciple them. And that somebody else has to be more than the pastor. Come on, wake up and listen to me today. Every person who joins the church needs another believer to give them some spiritual cues, to point the way, to show them what the next step is. And if we're going to do discipleship correctly at the Canaan Church, it can't just be what Pastor Malone does. The discipleship responsibility and process must include and engage every man and every woman who's a member of the Canaan Church. There are two questions you ought to ask yourself every year. Question one is who have I brought to Christ and into this church this year? Question number two, who am I spiritually mentoring right now? Who am I discipling? Who am I helping to get to that next place in Christ? Because each one of you should be a Barnabas. Each one of you should be an, an encourager, someone who's helping someone else to become a mature disciple. So let's go over to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 um, Peter and the other disciples are out spreading the gospel. People are coming to Christ. Now this time, uh, Danielle, the people coming to Christ are not just Jews. It's Jews and Gentiles. And because so many people are coming to Christ, not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, the mother church, the home church, wanted to make sure that what was taking place was being done with authenticity and with integrity. So they sent Barnabas to go check the situation out. So in chapter 11, uh, at verse 21, we're told, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turn to the Lord. They out sharing Christ, they're out spreading the gospel, they're out witnessing, 
and a great number of people are doing what? Turning to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Now that's the mother church. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. The purpose of sending Barnabas to say, Barnabas, go check this situation out. We're told that hundreds and thousands are coming to Jesus, but is it real? Is it true? Is it done with authenticity, with integrity? The Bible says when he came, that is Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God. Take your ink pen and underscore that phrase. When he had seen the grace of God. You can see grace. You can see people who, when their lives have been changed. The Bible says, and when Barnabas saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they would continue with the Lord. Better when it says that they will continue with the Lord, what is Barnabas in essence telling them to do? Keep repeating the process, right? When you look at Jesus' model, what does his model say? He did ministry of discipleship making intentionally. He did it making disciples in a relational environment. And thirdly, he left a process that could be what? Replicated. Barnabas says to them, you're doing the right thing. You're witnessing. You're bringing people what? To Christ. You're teaching them what? the word of God, you engage them in ministry so you send them back out to tell others about Christ as we have told you about Christ and then you teach them. What he has said to them that you continue with the Lord is keep the process going. Keep replicating the model that Jesus gave us. But stay right there in Acts chapter 11 and let's, let's go over uh, to verse 25. Now remember Barnabas has discipled who? Saul, right? Verse 25, verse 25 says, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek who? Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. What was Barnabas and Saul doing? teaching other believers the great truths of the word of God as it pertained to the kingdom of God. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. They were called Christians not because they walked around with a big Bible. They were called Christians because their lives so emulated the life of Jesus. Barnabas discipled Saul, and now Barnabas and Saul, right, together are now teaching all the Christians there at Antioch. Look at that picture. Albert, Barnabas took Saul, what, under his wings because the church was afraid to take him in. Barnabas said, oh, come on, take him in. We all got to pass. And Barnabas is discipling Saul. And then Barnabas and Saul are now doing ministry together. Hundreds and thousands of people coming on the Lord's side because they're replicating the process. Saul is going to, be, is going to 
come to be known not as Saul, but as what? Paul. So when you get past the book of Acts, the letter, the epistle Paul wrote to the church at Rome, the letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the letter that he wrote to the Christians of Galatia, the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, the letter that he wrote to the church at Philippi, the letter that he wrote to the church at Colossae, the letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, the letter that he's going to write to Timothy, the letter that he's going to write to Titus. All of these letters in the New Testament, nobody in the New Testament has more letters in the Bible than Paul. But what if Barnabas had not discipled Paul? What, what, what would we have when the Bible says that Saul tried to join the church but they were afraid to take him in? If Barnabas had not discipled him, look at what we would have missed. Yeah. Ain't that something? Aren't you glad for Barnabas? Look at somebody say, I want to be like Barnabas. I want to bring people to Christ and I want to help them to become disciples of Christ. And then turn over to 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. No, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1. Timothy, uh, Paul is writing to his understudy, Timothy. Uh, in, in, in Acts, around Acts chapter 15, don't, don't go there, I'm just telling you about it. In Acts chapter 15, there's Paul, there's Barnabas, and there's John Mark. Barnabas and Paul are going to get divided about John Mark. Because those of us who disciple others, we have our own weaknesses and our own faults and failures. And John Mark, he, he did something to irritate Paul, uh, let Paul down, disappointed Paul. And because he disappointed Paul, Paul said to, to Barnabas, John Mark can't go with us where we're going now. And Barnabas said, no, Paul, I want John Mark to go. And Paul said, well... Uh, Barnabas, if John Mark goes, I'm not going with you. So Barnabas said to Paul, well, then you, you, you go on yourself then because I'm taking John Mark with me. So now Barnabas is going to take John Mark with him and keep discipling John Mark. And Paul's going to separate from Barnabas and then he's going to take Silas with him. So now you begin to read that Paul is discipling Silas and Paul disciples Timothy and Paul disciples Titus and Paul's going to disciple even Luke. Now toward the end of Paul's life, Paul recognized the mistake that he made and so before he died when he was in prison, he tells them, he says, Luke, he says, send me my books because I ain't through studying about Jesus. Send me my cloak because it's cold in this prison. And then Paul says to Luke, and go get John Mark and send John Mark because I want to tell him that I'm sorry. Somebody, before you die, you better go find your John Mark. 
and tell them that you're sorry. Paul didn't want to die with that on his record. But John Mark is discipled by Barnabas, but Paul is going to disciple Silas, he's going to disciple Timothy, Titus, and even Luke. Now, in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 2, look at verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Listen very carefully to verse 2. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Y'all see that? What is Paul telling Timothy? And I'm through. He's telling him, keep repeating the process. Keep replicating the process. Sister Hurt, this is church at its best. You get saved. Then you go out, you're witnessing someone else, family, friends, co-worker, whoever, but you're sharing Christ with someone and you're trying to do it every week. God blesses you to lead someone else to Christ. That person joins the Canaan church. You then take them under your wing. You begin to disciple them. You make sure that they are at the right Connection Group Bible study. You make sure that they're at worship. You're helping to make sure that they get assimilated into the church. You help to make sure that they get involved in ministry. That person then becomes a Christian. That person growing up spiritually in their relationship with Christ. And then that person gets involved in ministry. And then Sister Hurt, they go out and they do the same thing with someone else that you did with them. Sister Ellis, did you hear what I just told Sister Hurt? Do you understand what happens if everybody in the church would do that? Our church will just have phenomenal growth. And the phenomenal growth of our church won't just be because people come on Sunday morning and say, you know, Pastor Malone is a great preacher, teacher. I really enjoyed the message he gave today. Nothing wrong with that. I ought to be faithful. I should be found faithful in teaching this word with clarity. Yeah, people come to church. They say, boy, our music ministry can sing. I was blessed by the singing of the Lord's song. That's great. We want that. But the growth of the church that God wants is not growth based on popularity. Is growth based on us following a process where every saved person is engaged in doing what Jesus did the way he did it. Making disciples. So the way, and not just members. I'm going to let you teach next week. Because you're doing this too good. Amen. I'm going to disciple you. Amen. Let you help me disciple others. Amen. Come on, thank God for this brother. He's been helping me all morning. All right. So here's, here's your assignment very quickly. Everyone here, every week, seek to bring somebody else with you to the noon Bible study. Do it intentionally. And as God blesses you to bring somebody else with you, make it up in your heart and your mind that you're going to help to disciple that person. Amen. God be praised. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.